Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Good afternoon. Welcome everybody. Thursday means it's Fresh Thinking time and that means it's great for us to be together. So, wonderful to be with you for the next, what's it, 55 minutes or so. I'd love to hear your input, your thought. As always, you know how the rules of this game work. It's only a conversation if you're part of it. So, that's an invitation. It's an invitation to please join the conversation, take part, share your thoughts. That's what keeps our thinking fresh. That's always what, you know, makes this a special experience. So, you know how to do it, I think, by now. If it's not saved as a content, contact on your phone. Our telegram line is 0618951019. Our SMS line is 34519. And we're out there on social media. You can find us on Twitter, at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish. You can find us on the Chai FM Facebook page. Let's talk. Let's talk. There's so much to talk about at the moment. We could talk about, the, well, we could certainly talk about boredom. <laughs> that's something that's, I think, on everybody's mind. There's a lot of uh, articles recently speaking about lockdown, COVID, boredom. But actually, that's not what we're going to talk about. Instead, I'd like to talk about leadership, leadership in difficult times, something which perhaps has a direct relevance to us at the moment, if you are a leader in today's time. So what are the challenges of being a leader in this COVID reality? And I think there might be quite quite a lot of them, actually. So let's talk about that. Maybe you're on the other end of the experience. Maybe you're somebody who looks at leaders and says, hmm, I don't know. I don't know if our leaders are leading as they should. And I'll be honest, this particular reason why I have leadership on the mind that's not just about the coronavirus and not just about are we in good hands and are our leaders doing as they should. That could be political leaders, it could be communal leaders, it could be religious leaders, whichever. But specifically, I always think at this time of the year when we have the Torah portion that we're going to be reading this Shabbos, and it's a very well-known story, that does not necessarily mean that it can't be a misunderstood story which is exactly why I'd like to talk about it. So we've got the story in this week's Torah portion about the golden calf. And, of course, we know that that was a debacle and it was a, a real low in Jewish history. The Jewish nation, having just received the Torah on Sinai directly from God, with the instruction that says, do not make any other gods, and here they are, prancing and dancing around a golden calf. So it's a real low. I mean, you have to think, how did they lose their way so quickly? But I'd like to focus on the response of their leader. In fact, I'd like to focus on Moshe as a leader, Moses as a leader throughout this entire experience. So he's the one who told them that he would be up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and they should just hang tight and he'd be back. So what what broke down in that communication that somehow they got so nervous and actually pretty quickly because if they if they just held on for one more day everything would have been fine. So is that perhaps a lapse in his leadership? Maybe is that possible? And then his reaction, of course, we know very famously Moses comes down off the mountain and he's got the tablets written by God's hand, this completely supernatural set of laws. The Talmud tells us that the letters themselves kind of danced in some kind of suspended animation. It wasn't uh, classic physical as we know it. 
So you've got this incredibly important resource in your hands, Moses. And as the story goes, as most people read it, he casts down the stones and smashes them on the mountainside. And then, of course, he goes and parades the Jewish people and he destroys the, the golden calf and so on. So I'm just curious, what are the lessons of leadership that we could learn from this story? The build-up to the story, is it a lapse of leadership that causes people to go astray? Or is it just because you could have the best leaders in the world and people are still people? And then the response, what does it teach us? Because in our in our context, Moses is like leader par excellence. So his response to the crisis has to be a model for us, surely, of how you're supposed to respond. So I'd love to know your thoughts as to this story and what it teaches us about leadership. And if you can feed it into the coronavirus and your thoughts on our leadership at this time. Well, that would be great as well. 34519, that's the SMS line, 0618951019 on Telegram. Otherwise, catch us on social media. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Once you start speaking about leadership and you allow people the opportunity to criticize leadership, now that, that is interesting. Maybe I've just opened a real Pandora's box over here. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> so interesting comments already coming through. And naturally, people, I think this is a big part of the story. People tend to read stories through their own lens. Which other way are we supposed to do it? So when you look at a leader in a crisis situation, here you've got Moses, the leader of the Jewish people, just rescued them from the clutches of two centuries of slavery in the most miraculous fashion, is parading them through the desert in a climate-controlled environment with fresh takeaways delivered to their door every single morning. And they're at the foot of Sinai. They have this incredible divine revelation. The message is, just don't believe all that pagan nonsense that surrounded you for your whole history. And Moses comes off the mountain and finds that they've done just that. So I suppose you could understand, you could appreciate why he would be upset. And that's what we do. We project. We say, if that was me, if I was that leader, and I had these people, and I had done so much for them, and I'd asked a simple request after the incredible engagement that they had with God himself, and they threw it back at me in my face, obviously I'd be annoyed. And so for, I think for many, many people, when they see in their mind's eye the picture of Moses throwing down the tablets, they're like, I get that. I can resonate with that. I relate to that. And my question is, is that leadership? And is that the leadership message of this particular story? So that's what I'd like to explore with you. Here is somebody with an unpronounceable Twitter handle who says the lesson is that you always have to make sure to leave someone with authentic leadership behind uh, to look after the people. So in other words, if you've got to check out as a leader, make sure that your 2IC is somebody who is reliable. Now, I'm not sure that Moses missed that beat, just by the way, because if you have a look at what happened, firstly, he had his brother Aaron, Aaron, who was wildly popular with the people. And should have been able to be a, a great stand-in for the period that Moses was away. Secondly, there was, already before the Jews left Egypt, there was what they called the 70 elders. So they were a group of people who were reliable to guide the rest of the nation. I don't think that they were left leaderless, number one. Number two, 
It's 40 days, although I think there's a great message in that, unfortunately. Like it or not, admit it or not, uh, we don't do well. Hey, We don't do well having been left on our own, even if it is just for a short period of time. Because this was 40 days. 40 days in the scheme of things, not a long time. I mean, how long have we been dealing with coronavirus? And and <laughs> we've, uh, we've probably held out fairly decently, even if our leaders are not necessarily online as we normally would have wanted them to be. So that's interesting, you know, just the suggestion that it's really important to have somebody there waiting in the wings to be your 2IC to step in. Like I suppose the vice president, right? That's how it works. If the president is for any reason uh, in, uh, unable to perform his duties, so you'll have a vice president who steps in. Okay, what else? What other suggestions do people have? Here's uh, another tweet. Uh, this is Sile who says on Twitter that the lesson is to trust God for guidance and leadership and never stray. Now, that's interesting. I think we all acknowledge that we have to have faith. We have to have God. We have to have the connection and the responsibility to a higher authority. I think we definitely, definitely all agree with that. Yet... God created a system that we have to have human leaders as well. So my question is very much about the human leaders. What are the lessons for human leaders from this story where everything just goes so pear-shaped in a really short amount of time? Uh, when I say short amount of time, yes, it was 40 days that they waited for Moses to come down off the mountain. And their calculations were just out by a day. So he doesn't come on the expected day. Whoa, hang in over there. Maybe something happened. Maybe there's something valuable. Maybe... Hashem has decided to upgrade the Torah that he's providing us, and therefore it's taking an extra day. Who knows? Why do we always somehow uh, run to the negative conclusion? If something's gone wrong, but yet we do. Again, I'm not questioning here the psychology of the people. I think it's an interesting conversation, perhaps a conversation for another time. I'd like to explore the leadership messages. Moses, the ultimate Jewish leader, and the reaction that he has to what goes on with the Jews dancing around this golden coffin. Can you imagine the shock? Here's a person who really has faith in his people. He really does. Moses has faith in his people in an incredible way. And then he comes off the mountain and he's flying. I mean, he's just had the most incredible spiritual experience. He's connected. He's spoken face to face with God. He's been given the Torah. And what does he come down to find? That nobody's on the same page. You know how disappointing that must be as a leader? Surely, because a true leader is not somebody who just wants pole position, who wants to be the big deal in the community. A real leader wants the people to get to where they should get to. A real leader believes in the people, and a real leader invests in the people. So it must have been a huge disappointment for him to come down off the mountain and discover that the people are anything but. You know, that they've really lost their way, and they are really not living up to the things that he had expected of them. Surely that must be, you can imagine how difficult that must be for any individual, right? For any person who believes that they should positively influence somebody else. It could be a parent who's disappointed in their child, right? I think that that's a, a concept we could all relate to, something that happens. Parent believes, you know, that, that the child should have behaved in a particular way. So, and then they don't, and you feel terrible about it. Uh, here's Ingrid who says, because uh, my question is, what are the leadership lessons? Ingrid says, people are minions, and they struggle to self-govern, so they always look for a leader to show the way. I think that's true. Again, that's more about the psychology of the people rather than the psychology of the leader. My question is more about the leader. 
But still, good point. If you're a leader, you have to know your people. And I think one of the tricks, one of the challenges of being a leader, and spiritual leaders tend to face this challenge maybe more than others, is that if you're a deeply spiritual person and you live on a high spiritual altitude, very often as a result of that, you see people in their best potential rather than in their practical reality. And maybe that's a lesson of leadership, you know. You cannot expect that just because you're, if you're a leader and you're a good leader and you're in a really powerful spiritual place, don't just automatically assume that everybody else is in a, an equally powerful or healthy space. So maybe that's a good point, right? Maybe that's what, uh, Mo- what Moses could have done differently, perhaps. And I don't think we should be here to criticize Moses. We should be here to learn from him. But it is interesting just to say, you know, Sometimes you've got to really be in touch with the people. We know, for example, when God spoke at Sinai and he said the first two of the Ten Commandments, it was too overwhelming. The people got blasted out of their bodies and they had to turn to Moses and say, please, please be the bridge for us. Communicate on our behalf. And and Moses at that point says he felt weakened because he had wanted the people to be at the level of the caliber that they could have absorbed divine messages directly. And it was a disappointment for him that that didn't happen. So perhaps in a similar vein, you could say Moses, I don't want to say overestimated the people because he knew the people really, really well, but perhaps saw too much of their potential goodness and maybe overlooked the possibility of their current weakness. That's an important lesson for leadership. Don't get carried away with your own reality at the expense of seeing perhaps where others might be weak. I'd like to hear your thoughts. What other leadership lessons can we take from the story of the golden calf? You can share them with us on Twitter at Chai FM or at Rabbi Shish. You can use the Chai FM Facebook page or, of course, our SMS and Telegram line. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we're talking today about leadership and using the story of Moses and the golden calf as a means to learn about leadership because we look at Moses and the Torah tells us clearly that he is the icon, the the archetype of what a Jewish leader should be. So how does he respond to the fact that coming off this incredible high of the giving of the Torah, the people are gyrating around the golden calf. He throws down the tablets and breaks them. What does that teach you about leadership? Uh, he has you on, on Twitter that's spelt Y-U, says a leader needs full power from top to bottom. So I guess that that means if the leader sees that there's a break in the community, then that is a time to exert that power, to show who's in charge. You were going to get this gift, and now you're not getting it. You were going to get the tablets, and now you're not getting it. Okay, so is that the lesson of leadership? To be, I don't want to say vindictive, because it's not necessarily vindictive, but is that the, the, the goal of leadership, to, to respond in a way that people realize, that's it, you were out of line, and you're now going to be held responsible for it. Uh, here's somebody who says that Moses saw the tribe following an inanimate object, and his ego got the better of him. That's why he threw the tablets down. His ego got the better of him. Now, that is, again, as I say, We often project, right? We've got our personal experiences and our personal reality. Then we read a story, and the story might be about somebody who is exemplary to us. Instead of reading their story as an example to us, 
what we tend to do is read our story as the definition of them. So I know for myself that I have an ego. I'm sure we can all relate. Maybe we should start an organization, uh, Egoists Anonymous. You know, hi, my name is so-and-so and I have an ego. We do, we have an ego, and when things don't go our way or when people reject our guidance, if we're supposed to be the ones guiding them, whether it be our children, students, community members, uh, political followers, whatever it is, so we can get angry, right? I think we've had plenty examples in the last year of big deal political leaders flipping their lid simply because of ego, right? Things didn't go their way or people didn't necessarily respect them in the way that they expected. So we take that and we then project that and we say, ah, so Moses, his ego got the better of him. And that's why he flipped out and he threw down these, it was a raging moment and he threw down these tablets and smashed them on the mountain. And that's a lesson for leaders of what not to do. Or I suppose some leaders will tell you that's a lesson that leaders are human too. Okay, so is that our take-home from the story? I'll tell you straight up, for me, that's not the take-home. For me, I don't believe that this is a story teaching us that leaders also have egos and this is what happens. And, and so, therefore, embrace your weakness. No, I think if you've stepped up to that plate and you would like to be a leader, you have to recognize then that that's going to come with great responsibility, right? Isn't that the cliche about great power? great responsibility and just simply saying oh my ego got the better of me that's actually not good enough you know, i'll tell you a fascinating thing about jewish law in jewish law when you pray there's a certain prayer called the amida it's a silent devotion that you're supposed to say standing with your feet together you say it in an undertone the person next to you is not be able is not supposed to be able to hear you which of course is a little bit easier today with social distancing but the point is it's an intimate interaction between you and God. You're, you're, you're close to Hashem at this point in time. You don't have to speak loud. Now, during the course of the Amidah, which is supposed to be this, as the Talmud describes it, like a servant standing in front of the master awaiting orders. In other words, it's a, an incredibly humble moment. So we're told that there are four times during the course of this prayer where we're supposed to bow. And any time that you bow, that shows submission. That means I acknowledge that God is greater than I am, and I submit myself to God. That's why you bow, because bowing is to lower your head. Your head is your greatest asset, contains your brain, contains some of the most sensitive faculties that a human being has, sight, hearing, smell, taste. But particularly, it contains your brain. Your brain is, of course, how you interpret and understand the world. Your brain is your intellectual ability. And if you bow your head, you're basically saying, whatever I understand or the perspective that I've created for myself I'm willing to defer on that perspective to higher authority. That's why you bow. And then after you bow, you stand up straight again. But the interesting thing about Jewish law is that a king, because Judaism favors a benevolent monarchy, so people always want to know, you know, is Judaism in favor of capitalism? Does Judaism believe in democracy? Judaism teaches a system of benevolent monarchy. And that king who's supposed to be the head of the whole community when the king prays this prayer, the Amidah, and bows, he's not allowed to stand up straight again until the end of the Amidah. And that's highly symbolic. Because the king is, as the expression goes, Ein alav elo Hashem There is no other authority that he is answerable to and that he is uh, submissive to other than God himself. 
Now, there were many kings in our history who did not live up to this ideal, but the ideal remains that a Jewish leader is intended, particularly a, a spiritual leader and a king, that's somebody who's the leader of the whole nation. Now, Moses was the leader of the whole nation. And in fact, the Torah calls him a king. Vayehi bishurun melech. refers to him as a king. So Moses had this responsibility of absolute submission to God. Now, absolute submission to God might sound a bit abstract to us. Like, what exactly is that? It basically means I don't allow myself to run away with my own feelings. It's natural. It's human. People do run away with their feelings. It's the way we are. It's equally natural that human beings are able to direct and focus their emotions with a little bit of thinking and a little bit of training. And so ego is not on the agenda for somebody like Moses. In fact, it's interesting when the Jewish people complained early on, very early on in their sojourn in the desert, and they complained about the food. So Moses says to them, you know, my brother Aaron and myself, v'nachnu ma, we are what? Meaning to say, what are we? We don't have an agenda. We don't have a position. We don't have an ego. We're, we're what? We're a question mark. We're an undefined entity that simply acts as a channel to achieve whatever God wants to achieve in this world. That's the truth of Moses. So the minute we say, oh, his ego got the better of him and he was annoyed that here he was, this great leader who had done so much for his people. And this is the response that he got, that they totally ignored the one instruction that was paramount to everything he had taught them. And so because he was frustrated, he threw down the tablets. That would be completely misguided because, again, then we've reduced Moses from being a model of how a leader should be to actually an excuse for how leaders are. Leaders have egos. And because of those egos, they say and do things that they shouldn't say and do. And if I interpret Moses in this story as being one of those leaders, then we can all breathe a sigh of relief and say, great, the expectations have just been lowered. I, as a leader, am allowed to have my tantrums. No, definitely not. I, as a leader, am allowed to operate from a position of ego. No, absolutely not. In fact, as far as Judaism is concerned, our greatest leaders were always called Small people. King David is called Hakatan, the smallest of all of his brothers. It's fascinating, isn't it? So if we think that this is just a story of ego getting the better of him, we're not understanding the story and we're certainly not deriving the appropriate lessons from the story. That's uh, my perspective. We're going to develop it further. Let's hear your perspective. What do you think? What do you think are the leadership lessons from the story of Moses and his response to the golden calf? For those of you who have just joined and are fresh to Fresh Thinking, this is Fresh Thinking, you with Rabbi Shishla. We're together every Thursday between 2 and 3 p.m. throwing around ideas, trying to think about things out of the box to see if we can appreciate, you know, a different perspective on life, a different perspective on things that we take for granted things that we know about. In this particular case, I'm talking about the story of the golden calf. It is in the Torah reading this Shabbos. And Moses, as the ultimate Jewish leader, responds to the golden calf by breaking the tablets and then by obviously uh, berating the Jewish people. And here's a part of the story that nobody mentioned, so I'm going to mention it. After all the dust settles, he goes to God and he begs forgiveness on behalf of his people. What are the leadership stories that we can take from this. And I'm going to ask you a second question as well. If you were Moses and you had just brought the tablets down from God and you would find the people dancing around the golden calf, 
What would you have done? So if we're going to talk about leadership, of course, leadership needs to translate into something which is relatable for us. So here's a question for you as an individual. If you were in Moses' position, how would you have reacted? We've had people suggest that a leader needs to have absolute power. We said that we had somebody say you have to trust God for guidance. We had somebody suggest that the most important thing about leadership is to have your stopgap. Who's there when you're not there? And we've had the suggestion that Moses allowed his ego to get the better of him. And that's why he threw down and smashed the tablets. An opinion which I personally don't believe is the message of the story. He has Doror on Twitter who says, The golden calf shows us that some people are leaders by their very character, while others need leadership and structure. As a leader, you need to identify which is which so you can guide some people while not holding back others who can then continue to grow. That's such an interesting insight because the truth is when you read the story of the golden calf superficially, you get the sense that it was the whole Jewish nation. Everybody was on board, like left, right, and said everybody was sucked into it. And that's really not the case. A closer reading of the story shows you that it was quite a limited crowd who, who took the bait. And a, a closer reading, specifically God's response where he says to Moses, your nation has sinned. Why, why your nation? Surely, God, this is actually your nation. You're the one who came up with the whole idea. You're the one who employed and recruited Moses to do this job. You're the one who decided to call them at the foot of Sinai, my treasured nation. They're your nation. Why not does he say, Moses, your nation? You know, it reminds me of parents uh, when, you know, when a child's misbehaved and the mother says to the father, look at what your son is doing. You know, it's, it kind of feels like that kind of thing. The truth of the matter is that the commentaries point out the reason he says your nation is because there was, there was a tag-along group who joined the Jewish people leaving Egypt. The Torah tells us they were called the Erev Rav, the mixed multitude. And they were there on Moses' in, uh, invitation. So they are the rabble-rousers. And I think that's Jorah's message over here. Some people are good on their own. They're leaders and they're by their own character. They don't need you to micromanage them. And then other people really need that leadership structure. And if they don't have it, everything falls to pieces. It's like our sages say in the Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avos, they say, you should pray for the well-being of the government because if we don't have a healthy governmental structure people will literally swallow each other alive so yeah there's a good point there's a good point and then Dora continues that uh, Moses was very upset after all that God had done for them to bring them out of Egypt and they turned their back on this trust so quickly leaders have to take a stand on principles but it teaches us that we should not react or respond when we are emotional so again both that suggesting that um, it, it was Moses' ego that got the better of him, or to suggest that, you know, you shouldn't respond when you are in a position of being emotional. Both of those imply that actually what Moses did was wrong. And now, here's a question. As far as Judaism is concerned, was it wrong? You know, it's interesting. Much later on in the Torah, we get to revisit the story at the end of the Torah, at the end of Moses' life, and suddenly the context is different. Suddenly he's given accolades. Well done for having broken the tablets. Now that immediately has to spin your perspective. Because if the same Torah that told us the story and told us about the uh, golden calf and told us about the breaking of the, of the tablets, if that same Torah then tells us, well done Moses for having done so, that's wow, that's interesting. We thought it was a, a misstep. We thought it was a letdown moment. It, we thought it was a, where he had let go of the leadership reins. Right. So that's something to think about. Russell says if he was Moses, he would have sent the tablets back into the clouds. Quite cute. Obviously, a little bit of a 
a, a tech reference. Um, but then he continues and he says, uh, Moses didn't really think of the people. We are humans and we should be allowed to make mistakes. So again, there's this prevailing thinking that the fact that Moses broke the tablets means that he was angry, disappointed, frustrated, full of his own ego, whatever it is, as if there was a breakdown in that moment between the leader and the people. So that's why Russell is saying, you know, we're human, we're people, we make mistakes. It's got to be taken into into account, into consideration. If you're a leader, you've got to know that you're getting yourself into this. Okay, interesting point. Um, I don't know that that's how the Torah sees the story. Martin says if he had been Moses, he would have taken a deep breath, play, prayed, perhaps slept on it to appreciate the reality gap, and then figured out an influence strategy to appeal to hearts and minds. It's really nice that. I mean, nicely worded. Uh, and basically, again, implying that Moses maybe acted rashly and it was at hand. Now, I'll tell you, there's something we have to know. Again, remember, if I take a story that is meant to teach me a model of how to behave, and instead of seeing it as a model for how I should behave, if instead what I do is I take how I behave and then superimpose it onto the story and say, okay, this is how I'm seeing the story, I, I'm not going to learn the lesson, right? If the lesson is there to guide me and instead I'm imposing me onto the lesson, it's no longer a lesson. So it's important for us to work out what's going on over here. And it's important for us to appreciate that Moses is not just your ordinary guy. Moses, we're told, had absolute submission to God, as I've already mentioned. Moses, we're told, when he opened his mouth, it was the divine presence speaking. He doesn't have an agenda. We know that his own sister Miriam, who was a prophetess in her own right, and was backed by her brother Aaron, who was this incredibly spiritual person, when they were critical of Moses' behavior, they got into serious trouble. Basically, what happened was God comes to them, puts them both effectively in excommunication. Well, at least Miriam, because she was the instigator, is excommunicated from the community. She lands up having the experience called Tsaras, which was the biblical disease associated with uh, misguided speech. And God gives them this, really, this speech from a dizzy height. How dare you speak? badly against my servant Moses you don't understand the man you don't know who you're dealing with and it goes on it's an incredible passage in the Torah that should be required reading for every single one of us and that's Miriam older sister who saved her brother's life prophetess person who is held in the highest regard so I think we'd be a little bit cautious or we should be not to say Moses lost it his ego got the better of him it was an emotional moment. He should have slept on it. We're certainly not anywhere near Miriam's heels. And she was censured for speaking this way about her brother. We certainly should not speak this way about Moses. So what does Moses teach us about leadership? Really interesting um, views coming through. It's fantastic and refreshing. You can join the conversation. Three, four, five, one, nine. That's SMSs. Oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. That's Telegram. At Rabashish at Chai FM. That's Twitter. And then there's always the Chai FM Facebook page. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. A couple of other interesting comments coming through about our question. What do we learn about leadership from the story of Moses and his response to the golden calf? Here's somebody who says, sometimes you have to have tough love to make people understand how much you love them. Moses had no choice. 
Otherwise, they would have gone back to their old ways. And then that would have been the end of the Jewish people and the end of the Torah. Okay? Absolutely. Tough love is definitely, definitely important uh, when appropriate. Obviously, when appropriate. I think we're missing a point over here, and that is we have to understand the individual to understand the nature of his leadership. If you had to ask what would have been Moses's ultimate lifestyle, okay? Remember, because when God comes to recruit Moses for the job, Moses says, nah, not me, there are other people, I'm not a good speaker, and so on and so forth. What, what would Moses rather be doing? You know, like those bumper stickers, I'd rather be playing golf. What would Moses rather be doing instead of caretaking the Jewish people? Where, by the way, later on he says, you know, I carried you literally like a mother carries a baby. So what would he rather have done with his time? Interesting question, right? It's a question we don't necessarily think about often, or perhaps not often enough. So what would Moses have done with his time were he not shepherding the Jewish people? He would have been absolutely invested in the study of Torah. You know, right at the end of the books of the Tanakh, we're told, Zichru Toiras Moshe Avdi. Remember the Torah of Moshe. It's interesting, right? Because you would have expected that it would be the Torah of God, but instead it's called the Torah of Moshe, of Moses. And the reason for that is because Moshe became one with the Torah. He wasn't just the agent. Went, procured the Torah for us, and presented it to us. He became one with the Torah. To the extent that it is called his Torah. That's what he loved. That's what he cared about. That's what he would have wanted to spend his time on. If he didn't have this responsibility hoisted on him. Right? That Now you've got to go out. And you've got to be a, a leader of the Jewish people. Plus, the Kabbalists tell us. That every soul has a unique wiring. A unique spiritual nature. And unique spiritual nature of the soul of Moses is that it linked directly into divine wisdom. You know, for the rest of us, we've got to learn and learn and debate and research and contemplate and cross-reference. And it's a big deal for us to get to the point where we actually learn things. And that's ordinary things, right? Think back to school. What was your least favorite school subject? And how much work did you have to invest in order to get somewhere in that particular subject, Right? It wasn't simple. Now, divine wisdom, that's abstract. Uh, the Torah is an, a segue into divine wisdom, right? When you learn Torah, it opens the portal to divine wisdom. And then we struggle through learning Torah, particularly. Have you ever studied the Gemara? Not so simple, not straightforward. Such as all laid out, nice, neat for dummies kind of fashion. There's a lot of digging and a lot of debating and a lot of exploring before you reach the point that you actually understand what on earth is going on over there. Now, mysticism is even more so. Mysticism, which is much more clearly divine wisdom, is so difficult, esoteric, abstract. And here you've got somebody who the wiring of his soul, the mystics tell us, is that he's hardwired straight into that divine wisdom. So it's not just that Moses loved Torah and that's what he wanted to do in his spare time. It's that Mo Moses was synonymous with Torah. That's like his heartbeat. That's the essence of his being is Torah. Now, to be a Torah scholar, you do not have to be a leader. In fact, on the contrary, you'd probably prefer to be an academic, maybe even a recluse. Because that way you don't have to worry about all the distractions of, here I am just settling into a nice, thick piece of philosophical uh, workings, 
and, and then there's a knock at the door because somebody, Mrs. Cohen's having an issue with her husband. Or, you know, you get that WhatsApp message that you have to reply to because somebody needs help. You know, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, a, a, an academic would much rather be removed from society. So there's Moses. That's his headspace. That's his first love. And then God comes knocking on his door and says, I want you to take on my people, not just an ordinary group of people, but my people. I want you to take them on. And Moses says, okay, listen, I don't have a choice. You know, God comes along. You try all the excuses. He rejects them all. You don't have a choice. You've got to take this on. And at that point, Moses changes everything about his life to become a leader. So up until that time, he may well have been an academic. And now he becomes a leader and a real leader, the ultimate leader. And the ultimate leader is faced not just with a crisis. You know, we think of it, it was a crisis. He comes down from a very high inspired experience and he finds that, you know how it is when you've been very inspired and then you get a hangover. So that kind of a thing comes down off the mountain and he's all gung ho, ready to go, got the tablets in his hands and the people are nowhere near the same headspace as where he is. They've completely lost their way. They are bouncing around and serving a golden bovine idol. It, it, you know, this is not just a moment of crisis. What are we going to do about the people? What are we going to do about God? This is a moment that defines what does it mean to be a leader? Because what Moses holds in his hands is the single most precious item he could ever have dreamed of. He has a person who had dedicated his entire life to study and not just any study, but the pursuit of truth and the pursuit of divine wisdom. And now he was invited upstairs into the antechamber that contains the source of all divine wisdom. And he's face to face with divine, with God himself, the source of all of that wisdom. This is everything that Moses stands for, everything he holds dear, everything he believes in. And then God gives it to him in tangible form. The uniqueness of those tablets is that they were on the one hand tangible physical stones. And yet on the other hand, they contained something that was completely intangible. So our sages allude to this when they say, you know, if you consider the, the, the Torah tells us that you could read the tablets from every angle. That implies that it wasn't a normal physical reality. So it's this fusion that happens between physical, tangible reality on the one hand and infinite divine reality on the other hand. And this is the single most incredible moment in, in anybody's life, certainly in Moses' life. He's holding these tablets in his hands. He's about to share them with the Jewish people. Everything that he cares about is all coming together. And he's going to use his leadership position as the opportunity to take the most precious thing he could ever imagine and hand it to his people who he's been given to curate. And now there's a crisis because as he walks down off that mountain, he sees that there's a complete disconnect between his people, the people he's responsible for as their leader and his precious Torah, which is pretty much everything that his life is about. And something's got to go because the two are currently in absolute conflict. Therefore, they cannot both survive one of them has to go and now he has a real leadership decision to make do i give up everything i believe to be valuable and stand up for my people or do i clutch that which is absolutely valuable 
even if it's going to hurt my people? That's the ultimate leadership question. And that's what Moses had to face at that point. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we're talking about Moses as a leadership model, specifically talking about Moses in the, the incredibly difficult crisis of the golden calf. And he walks up the mountain and he chucks down those tablets and smashes them on the mountainside. And we, and we all go with one collective, oh, look at that, he lost his mind. He couldn't control his emotions. His ego got the better of him. No, none of the above. That is a moment of absolute leadership. That is a moment where a leader turns around and says, I have dedicated my whole life to this particular set of principles, which are incredibly important and incredibly um, valuable. And they're real principles. This is divine principles. And then the divine who made those principles called on me to be the leader responsible for those people. So I've got to toss up now. If I bring the tablets down, then there you have it, clearly etched in stone, that these people are sinners. They've rejected God in the most horrible way at the foot of Mount Sinai, just after having received the most beautiful gift from him. They deserve nothing but pain. And Moses says, but if I break the tablets, then there isn't that etched in stone so they could actually use an argument and say, oh, we weren't sure exactly of what the details were. When did it come into effect? We know we were told at Sinai, but was it immediate or was, was it only once we had signed the contract? You know, what were the clauses? What were the TNCs? So Moses at this point surrenders, sacrifices his love affair with the Torah in order to step up and be a leader who looks after his people. It's an incredibly powerful lesson. For any leader, and perhaps more so in today's world. I think one of the great dilemmas that we've had over the COVID period has been the dilemma between our love of our Judaism and our love of Jews. So thank God we have a system. Thank God we're able to operate our shuls in a healthy, safe environment where a person can participate in shul with no threat to their health because thank God we've defined, we, we, we've uh, devised protocols. But there was a dilemma and there was a crisis. Do we break our Judaism by not having shul in order to protect Jews? Or do we threaten, God forbid, the well-being of our fellow Jew because we have to protect shuls? It was an interesting time. I think we all went through the dilemma and we discussed it many, many times. And I'd like to believe that we as a community actually came up with a really healthy response. And the healthy response was... Like Moses, the ultimate leader, you care first about the people. Let's make sure that everybody's safe. If we don't know that it is safe to be in our shuls, let's put that on, on hold for a moment. And, and some people were quite uncomfortable with the idea. And that's good. It's good to be uncomfortable with the idea because we shouldn't relinquish our Judaism that easily. But the fact that we did it showed an incredible message to us, to ourselves, to our children, that a leader cares about the people first. That's what it means to be a leader. And then we'll find a way to bring back the Torah like Moses did. Because then he goes and he petitions God and he negotiates and he gets a second set of tablets. And guess what? Not only did we get the Torah back, but the sages tell us we actually got more in the second tablets. But as long as we have the priorities right, the responsibility of a leader is to his or her people. Everything else can be fixed afterwards. 
I think it's a great lesson for us at all times and maybe a little bit more at the moment. It's been great. Thank you for all of your input, your comments, your insights. They're always valuable and they're so insightful. I want to wish everybody a wonderful Shabbos. Stay safe and stay sane.